Hello from Washington. I'm Kyle Trigstad, politics editor at Bloomberg Government. With me, as always, is senior reporter Greg Giroux. On this episode of Down Ballot Counts, we're continuing to prep for Super Tuesday. We kick it off with a few Republican primaries in Alabama. We'll spotlight a campaign ad that caught our attention. And then we'll talk to Texas Tribune Washington Bureau Chief Abby Livingston about what's cracking in her home state. Spoiler alert, there's a lot. We were there with 99% of the precincts counted. Number of other key down ballot races. This is a very dramatic turn. We will have to look. House will be in order. Chair requests that members clear the aisle, take seats, and cease audible conversation. From Washington, this is Bloomberg Government's Down Ballot Counts. Up first, Jerose Jim. Thank you, Kyle. Jerose Jim, my number of the week is 28. That's President Donald Trump's percentage point victory margin in the state of Alabama in the 2016 presidential election. Trump won 62% of the vote in Alabama compared to 34% for Democrat Hillary Clinton. And that statistic helped explain why Democratic Senator Doug Jones will have a difficult re-election campaign after winning the seat in a special election in December of 2017. Jones this time will have to share a ballot, a November ballot, with the president, who should again win Alabama with ease. Jones may need to win hundreds of thousands of Trump voters to split their tickets. Joe Manchin of West Virginia, Kyle, is the only senator who represents a state that voted for the opposite party's 2016 presidential nominee by a greater margin than Trump's 28-point margin in Alabama. Manchin was barely elected in 2018, and so Jones will need some Manchin-like popularity and maybe some luck to do the same. We'll have more on this Alabama Senate primary in just a bit. But Kyle, 28, that's the Jarrow's Gem of the Week. I like it. And it explains why, uh, you know, a couple senators are, are running for re-election in states uh, that Trump won, uh, but they were not created equal. Gary Peters running in Michigan, which Trump won very narrowly. All right, up next, we're heading to the Yellowhammer State, Alabama. This is Bloomberg Government's Down Ballot Counts. Alabama may be crimson red politically, but that doesn't mean there aren't a ton of races to watch there, starting on Super Tuesday. I got to say, Greg, I think I'm most interested about the Republican primary to take on the most vulnerable Democratic senator in the country, who we just mentioned, Doug Jones. The cast of characters have made this must-watch, and the eventual winner will likely start out favored to unseat Jones. That's right, Kyle. It looks like no one in this crowded seven-candidate Republican primary is going to win the majority vote needed to avoid a runoff on March the 31st. And it looks like you have three Republicans competing for two spots in that likely runoff. You have Jeff Sessions, the longtime former senator who served as President Trump's first attorney general. You have Tommy Tuberville, the former football coach at Auburn University. And being a former football coach in Alabama, that's pretty good on a resume, uh, especially if you're running as a political outsider, I think. And then you have Bradley Byrne, I think the third major candidate. He's the congressman from Alabama's first district in and around Mobile. Uh, Sessions has emphasized his conservative bona fides. Byrne has emphasized his loyalty to President Trump. But in recent days, he's drawn sharper contrast with Tuberville, the former uh, Auburn football coach on immigration policy. And Tuberville's campaign and a pro-Tuberville super PAC called Grit PAC have aired ads casting Sessions and Byrne as insufficiently loyal to President Trump, who is popular in Alabama and especially so among the Alabama Republican electorate. Now, does Tuberville, as a former Auburn coach, does he take a hit in Tuscaloosa 
University of Alabama's home and Auburn's number one rival. What do you think? Well, that's one of those things I'll be looking at on uh, on primary night is if uh, Tuscaloosa County, uh, how it votes. <laughs> Another thing that's interesting to watch is that, or it's notable at least, that Roy Moore, the controversial former Alabama chief justice who won the who was the Republican nominee against Democrat Senator Doug Jones in 2017, is a non-player in this race, it seems. Seems like he's going to you know fall uh, far behind the field and isn't going to qualify for this runoff. Yeah, I thought he might have some kind of floor of support but it looks like that floor has caved in since his uh, last special election loss. It really feels that way. And um, it's also going to be interesting to see, I think, if what, if anything, President Trump does in this Republican primary and likely runoff on March the 31st. Will he seek to endorse a candidate? Will he try to torpedo Sessions by presidential tweet? We'll have to see. It's clear that whoever emerges from that uh, Republican primary and runoff will be a loyal supporter of the president. But this is a race where I'm kind of wondering, will Trump weigh in? All right. Uh, briefly, we have a couple open seats uh, we're watching. Republicans, uh, Bradley Burns' seat, uh, he's running for Senate. Uh, and then Martha Roby's retiring uh, in the 2nd District. Burns' seat is the 1st District. Um, any of the, Either of those races, uh, pretty exciting. Um, I know uh, we featured an ad from Jessica Taylor uh, in one of those districts. Uh, any chance uh, she pulls it out? I think the question will be, can she get enough support to make it to a runoff? You have a uh, you have a candidate there, Jeff Coleman, a wealthy businessman who runs a moving company, uh, moving uh, service company, who um, is probably going to be in first place, very well funded. Um, you need 50% of the vote plus one to avoid a runoff. So I think Jessica Taylor and other candidates, including Troy King, Alabama's former attorney general, are vying to keep Jeff Coleman under 50% and try and secure that second spot to force a March 31st runoff. Uh, that race, like in the first district, the real election is in the Republican primary, uh, but because both districts are very overwhelmingly pro-Trump, and you're seeing candidates in both districts run very pro-Trump ads, r- emphasizing their opposition to abortion and gun control, and emphasizing their support for building a border wall. All right, and that runoff is on March 31st. We'll leave it there, because up next is our weekly look at a recent campaign ad that stood out to us. Let's take a listen. The Washington liberals are obsessed with President Trump. They wasted three years and millions of dollars trying to overturn the last election and steal the next one. Liberal Mark Kelly supported their impeachment sham. Kelly said he would have voted to remove President Trump from office and the November ballot. Mark Kelly has revealed his true colors. He's too liberal for Arizona. I'm Martha McSally and I approve this message. That was an ad from Senator Martha McSally, an Arizona Republican who was appointed to John McCain's former Senate seat weeks after losing the 2018 race for the state's other Senate seat. Uh, that race was against Democrat Kirsten Cinema. Greg, she's going all in on supporting Trump here. She equates Democrat Mark Kelly's statement that he would have voted to remove the president from office with being too liberal for what has clearly become a swing state. What's your read on this? Yeah, Kyle, it does seem like high-profile contests for the Senate are engaging earlier and earlier in the campaign cycle. This ad is airing eight and a half months before the election, and uh, Cass Kelly is a supporter of impeachment, and it also shows images of Nancy Pelosi, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Bernie Sanders, and some other prominent liberals in Washington seeking to tie uh, Kelly uh, to those uh, uh, more liberal Democrats. I think this ad does show how McSally wants to rally Republican voters to her side and begin to define Kelly in a negative light. It will be interesting to see how much McSally aligns with Trump closer to the election. 
Arizona may well be a swing state in the presidential contest. It backed President Trump in the 2016 election by just about three and a half percentage points. And as you noted, in 2018, uh, Arizona's other Senate race, um, it flipped from the Republicans to the Democrats with McSally's loss to Kirsten Sinema. Yeah, she's clearly trying to politicize someone whose whole profile is inherently not political. He's an astronaut. Uh, and, you know, that's one of the best selling points for him. And it's why both parties see him as probably the best Senate recruit in the entire country. All right. Up next, we'll head east to mess with Texas. From Washington, this is Bloomberg Government's Down Ballot Counts. Joining us in studio, our first in-studio guest is Abby Livingston, Washington Bureau Chief for the Texas Tribune, a seventh-generation Texan and a three-time MVP of the Congressional Women's Softball Game, the annual late spring charity event on Capitol Hill. It's a must-go event, by the way. Absolutely. Abby, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, All right. Well, we're talking Texas, obviously, and I want to start with Upset Watch, which is one of my favorite things. You don't see a lot of House incumbents lose in primaries, but in Texas, we got a couple we're keeping an eye on. Republican Kay Granger and Democrat Henry Cuellar both face well-funded primary challengers. Um, Abby, could either incumbent really lose? And if so, which one's more in danger? Yes, they could. Uh, There are warning signs. Um, But as you and I saw when we worked for years at Roll Call, it is extremely difficult to oust an incumbent. Usually the way a House incumbent goes down is the element of surprise. We kind of wake up on that next day and go, what just happened? Um, but there are warning signs uh, with Henry Cuellar, Democrat, Appropriations Committee, senior guy in our delegation. He has a district down in Laredo near the border, and it goes up to San Antonio. And he's the most conservative Democrat in our delegation. He hangs out with Republicans quite a bit, but he's still a Democrat. He pays his DCCC dues, which means he helps other guys raise money to run their ads all over the country. Um, but he did get outraised by a young upstart, Jessica Cisneros. Um, granted, he had $3 million in the bank. He's been ready for this. Um, the other race is my home district, Kay Granger. She's a Republican. She's, a senior, or she's the top-ranking appropriator on the Republican side. Um, and the Tea Party has come after her. She's had a public works project that is extremely controversial. And she was very critical of candidate Donald Trump. He has now endorsed her, and she is... Uh, running on that like like no other. But um, I, I think they're, I embraced to see one of them possibly lose. But as hard as it is anywhere, it's even harder in Texas because our primary uh, calendar is so compact. Basically, the races don't really start until after Christmas, and then they're done by Mar- March 2nd, 3rd, what, the first Tuesday of every March. So um, and early voting in Texas starts today. So it's just a really sh- brief window to make the case to voters. Let's let's talk uh, Texas. Six House Republicans aren't seeking re-election. Uh, Mike Conaway, Mac Thornberry, Bill Flores, Pete Olson, Will Hurd, and Kenny Marchant. Which of these open seats do you think, Abby, will be the toughest for the Republicans to defend in November? Will Hurd's seat, the Texas 23rd, takes eight hours to drive across from San Antonio to El Paso. And I think there is a lifetime of politics to be played between now and the fall. I think the biggest question on that race is whether the two parties outside groups decide to compete there. Uh, I think it's a very tough district to hold on to with Will Hurd, um, and now they'll have to do it without him. So um, there are some s- strong possibilities there for Republicans, but it's it's going to be a tough road to hoe. 
All right, Abby, obviously you're from Texas. You've been covering Texas for years for the Texas Tribune. Um, Texas Democrats uh, that I talk to sound more bullish than ever about competing for the state's 38 electoral votes. Um, that obviously depends in part on who the Democratic nominee is. Uh, Bernie Sanders right now is, is uh, looking pretty good in Nevada. We'll see what happens there. But um, could you envision that actually happening this year? And if so, what's the trickle-down effect of that? I think it's a, I think it's difficult for the presidential campaign and the Senate. Um, the for the people who live in the state, the Democrats, the action is the state legislature. They want to recapture the House of Representatives on that side in order to have a hand in redistricting and other issues. But that's what we care about in federal um, and picking up House U.S. House seats. I, I would say the it's becoming cloudier. I don't know how many, you will not hear it on the record at this point, but there are concerns within Democratic circles in Texas um, about uh, who the nominee could be and also just the general tone from the National Party. There's sort of this sense of, of like, can we please run our races on the issues we care about? We understand you're excited, and I'm speaking in the, the voice of a Democrat, that you're excited about the possibility Texas could go blue or even, you know, more likely purple, but it needs to be on our terms. That means don't come into our district and campaign about, um, you know, Green New Deal. Um, and so it's it's a very frustrating place for the Democrats because they see an opportunity, but they also see the National Party um, sort of maybe mucking it up a little bit. So. And how do you assess Republican efforts to win back the two districts that flipped to the Democrats in 2018? We have the Houston area 7th district held by Lizzie Fletcher and the Dallas area 32nd district of Colin Allred. There's some extremely strong challengers in both districts, and we'll see how that shakes out on election on primary day to see who emerges will likely have a runoff in at least one of them. So the, the 32nd is Colin Allred. It's North Dallas. That district, um, I think most observers in both parties will say is the more likely hold. Um, I believe he won by seven points, but it was a larger margin than I think anyone expected. Then you go down, and it's an almost mirror district in Houston. These are both very wealthy areas that extend into diversifying areas. Uh, the Texas 7th, Lizzie Fletcher, she's kept a very low profile, um, but Republicans have huge hopes for one candidate in particular, Wes Hunt. Uh, he's a West Point grad, uh, combat veteran, um, but he's also got a pretty tough challenge from Cindy Siegel, who's a mayor of a city, Bel Air, within there. And so, and there's a few other challengers. So, um, both Democrats are running hard. They're not taking anything for granted. They're banking their money. Um, these Republicans are probably going to have protracted primaries and come out pretty broke, but Republicans always seem to come up with the money when they need it. You, you mentioned Hunt. I think he was one of three Republicans Trump endorsed uh, either last week or the week before. So Trump's gotten involved a little bit uh, in some of these primaries. So, And Abby, we have some notable names, as you know, running in some of these open districts, some of these with large Republican primary fields, as you mentioned. Uh, just a few examples. Pierce Bush, a grandson of George H.W. Bush running in the 22nd district. Former Congressman Pete Sessions deciding to make a comeback in the 17th district and then around Waco. And uh, former White House physician Ronnie Jackson in the 13th district. Um, what's your assessment on any of these candidates? Um, any, any chance we could see any of them come, to, uh, come back to, come to Washington uh, and win in November? I'll start with Ronnie Jackson. I think that one is, I know the least about, but I'll say I think it's going to be tough. Mac Thornberry was the one retirement we all knew was going to happen. His time as 
ranking member of the Armed Services Committee was winding down, and that's something I could have told you four years ago would have happened when it did. So there were people on the ground with their eye on that race, and it's the most conservative district in Texas, possibly the country, um, and it's a sprawling, sprawling district. So I, I can't imagine Jackson's opponents have been sitting on their laurels. Then you come down to Waco and Pete Sessions, and Pete Sessions was the NRCC chairman, head of the House campaigns for a couple cycles, and he was raising hundreds of millions of dollars for the party, and he lost his district, the 32nd, which we just discussed last cycle. Um, That was a district that changed underneath him and went for Hillary over Trump in 2016, and he didn't seem to recognize how serious that threat was. So he's he grew up in Waco. He moves down to Waco. These are not the same media markets. It's a very different area um, and plants his flag there in the district that Congressman Bill Flores retired from. Flores has not endorsed Sessions, his former colleague. He's endorsed another candidate. And But I think the most striking thing is Pete Sessions raised like $100,000 last quarter. I mean, that's not much money for a former member of Congress, especially one with the connections he has from leadership. He was the former rules chairman. Um, and then you go down to the Pierce-Bush race, and that one, I th- he has a great shot. He's very personable. Um, he's more George W. Bush than any anyone else. He's got kind of that charm. Um, he's raised a ton of money, but at the same time, he's got about a dozen opponents in his primary. So I, when you start getting that many people, it gets to be the very Wild West, and he's got a self-funder who's going to who's already spent millions, and so it's it's very very up in the air. All right, Abby, I know you've been covering impeachment very closely uh, for the Texas Tribune, um, but I'm wondering if uh, over the last couple of months you've been able to find your favorite race. Political reporters tend to have one race in particular that they, they've just really enjoyed covering so far. Do you have one of those? I think I would have to say Kay Granger's race, which I mentioned before, because that's my home district, and she's the first politician I ever met when she was mayor of Fort Worth. And um, so I've followed her for a very long time, and the most amazing fact I dug up about that race was she was recruited in 1996. And we have nonpartisan mayors in Fort Worth, and so both parties recruited her. And this was a time when the Democratic Party was still viable in Texas, but she clearly saw the writing on the wall. And so um, when I went through the margins, she's never had a tough federal race ever. I mean, and she was such a dominating force in Fort Worth that no one bothered to challenge her the first round. So um, how she adjusts, how she um, is able to pull together a campaign at this stage in her career um, in, a, in ways that it, it can often be a hard uh, a hard path. Um, the Club for Growth is spending a lot of money. A leadership-aligned super PAC is spending a lot of money on this race. Um, and Fort Worth very much has little brother syndrome to Dallas, and it takes uh, their congressional representation extremely seriously. So um, it's it's going to be an interesting night, I think, on election night for her. All right. Well, we'll we'll have to leave it there. Uh, Abby Livingston, you can follow her on Twitter at Texas Trib Abby. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. This is Down Ballot Counts. Now, before we close the show, we've got a parting shot of trivia for you. It's trivia time on Down Ballot Counts. Each week, I try to stump Kyle and you, the listeners, with a political trivia question. But first, let's review last week's question and answer, and that is name two of the three states where both senators' last names begin with the same letter of the alphabet. Extra credit if you can get all three. 
Kyle, what do you think of that question, and do you have anything for me? Uh, I don't like that question. I've been trying to think of the answer as you've been reading it. Um, I came up with Texas like a week ago, and I haven't come up with anything else since, and I didn't want to cheat, so I haven't looked it up. So, all right, just give me the other two. Well, thank you for not cheating. You did get Texas correct. Republicans Ted Cruz and John Cornyn. Are, Texas is one of those three states. The other two are Delaware, represented by Democrats Chris Coons and Tom Carper, and Illinois, represented by Democrats Dick Durbin and Tammy Duckworth. So those are the three states, Delaware, Illinois, and Texas, where both senators' last names begin with the same letter of the alphabet. So congratulations, listeners, if you knew that one. That was a tough one. Now for this week's question. As we noted earlier in the program, Jeff Sessions, the former Alabama senator and President Trump's first attorney general, is seeking to return to the Senate seat he held from 1997 to 2017. What I want to know is, who was the last U.S. senator who served two separate non-consecutive tenures? In other words, who was the last senator who re-entered the chamber after formally serving there? So think about that one, Kyle. Think about that one, listeners. You can email your answer to bgovpodcast at bgov.com or tweet your answer to the Bloomberg government Twitter handle at bgov and use the hashtag downballotpod. We'll reveal the answer and ask a new question on next week's program. That's it for us today. But before we go, Greg, what's one thing in politics we should watch this week? Kyle, the one thing I'm watching in politics is today's Republican primary in northwestern Wisconsin's 7th Congressional District, where the winner will be favored in the May 12th special election for the seat formerly held by Republican Sean Duffy. All right. The producer for Down Ballot Counts is David Schultz. You can follow us on Twitter at Kyle Trigstad and at Greg Giroux. And be sure to check out all the great politics coverage on Bloomberg Government's website, about.bgov.com. We'll talk to you next week. Cases and Controversies is all about the Supreme Court. One of the oh, come on. Words. You know, come on. Well, I agree Be with serious. you. We sit down with leading practitioners and scholars to break down these cases. I mean, I'm glad you brought that up so I didn't have to. But, uh... <laughs> oh, I interesting, didn't know that. Right? That is See? interesting. I guess my imagination is running wild. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Tune in every week for our deep dive and sneak peek episodes wherever you get your podcasts. As always, check out the latest at news.bloomberglaw.com. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.